This is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Oh yeah, Brock and Saul, Seattle Sports here on 710, seattlesports.com as well, and uh, the app and all the podcast platforms. Brock, we meet again. Hi, buddy. Wow, the boys are back. The boys are back again. The boys are back again. The boys are back again. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? Whatever it's been, 14 years, and there's still, when you're out a whole week, you feel like, okay, i got to get in batter's box, get my timing right. Uh-huh. You know, there, there's still a little something to that. Not not going to lie, and man, I was out. I mean, I was not only out, out. I was out, out, out. I was from the Queen Charlotte Islands to Omaha, Nebraska, to finding myself in Birmingham, Alabama. It has been a uh, it has been a wild week. So I'm gonna try to get my timing right. You know, try to try to. You, you, you're like the leadoff guy. I'm watching okay. you right now. I'm watching you. So try to get my rhythm back a yeah. little bit. All right. Yeah. Well, let me. You want me to foul off some pitches here, JP Crawford style, and sure. uh, yeah. see see what happens. Uh, kind <laughs> yes. of moving forward. Uh, let, we'll, we'll we'll jump right into the Mariners. Brock, obviously, still sort of the biggest the biggest uh, story of of this of this spring is their disappointment. And and the more you look through it, the more I I think about it, et cetera. I, I just, and this weekend, I think pointed it out as much as anything, the biggest difference between this team in the last two years is those one run games. And we know that, right? I mean, like the, the numbers show you the extreme differences between one run wins last year and this year and the year before. I mean, it's, it's been very obvious, but I was, I was looking at some of the, just the raw numbers and they can be deceiving obviously, but raw numbers. The Mariners are averaging more runs per game this year than either of the last two years. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I mean, unless I, unless I did my, uh, my division wrong, Uh-oh. they're averaging four and a half runs per game this year. Last year was 4.3. The year before was four and a quarter. You know what else is weird? They're giving up more runs this year. Mm-hmm. They're giving up 4.17 runs this year. Last year was 3.84. So they're scoring more and giving up more, but anybody who watches this team would tell you that's not the issue, right? Your eyes don't come anywhere close to that because it's the when more than the how much that has been the problem for this team. They outscored the Yankees and they outscored the Orioles in both of those series. Mm -hmm. And they managed to lose four out of six games. Mm -hmm. Last year, the year before, they would have done the opposite. Yeah, last year it was the fun differential because their run differential was the opposite. They're, to, to your point, last year they won all of these one-run games. They had a confidence and a belief, I think, inwardly, obviously, and most importantly, and then externally as we all watched them, like, yeah, they're going to find a way. Somebody, they're going to be a different hero. right? How many different times we said that over the course of last season, late into last season, is that somebody, one through nine, is just going to emerge. That It was the collective. It was the sum of all of them. And right now, it is just the individual parts in those moments that aren't delivering. I think there's probably some context to those numbers as well, Salk, with the new rules and the shifting and everything. I'm going to guess their ranking in runs scored this year is worse than last year. I'm going to guess the whole league average, and I may be wrong on that, but but my my hunch and my guess of just watching the league this year and watching without the shift and watching some of the, the averages and the OPSs climb – 
that uh, everybody in the league is scoring a little bit more and probably, frankly, giving up more runs while the Mariners are, but not by much. And their pitching and their defense has still largely kept them in every one of these maddening games, getting down to the wire and unfortunately not finding ways to deliver in the clutch in the big moments. Yeah, last year they were 18th. uh, I'm sorry, this year they are 18th in runs scored, which is below league average. Last year... They were like 16th. I mean, they were they were the first team below league average last year. So just barely below league average. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit lower, but it's not significantly lower. I mean, I think that's what's so crazy. They are because you get these 12, 13 run explosions and they've had a few of them this year and they have found ways to score runs, but they don't do it when they need to. And and I think that's what's been so unbelievably frustrating. And so then there's two ways of looking at that, because there are people, many of them in the in the in the sabermetric community who would say, what are you talking about? When you score is not controllable. You get the players. They hit when they hit. And the rest is just a matter of sample size. And that if you give it long enough, sample size will get bigger and everything will reach their appropriate mark and they'll be just fine. Those things will even out. There's truth to that. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then you also bring in that human element yes. and right. And you would say, <laughs> OK, you know fine. That- <laughs> but in those close moments, you're not pressuring the opponents in those moments like you have the last few years. You're not forcing the action. You're not doing the things that you've done over the last couple seasons. And you can see the difference with your eyes, even if the stats don't bear it out. Yeah, that 27th out is truly the hardest out. And you have seen enough through history to say, yeah, it, it is different. The the final nine holes on the back nine when you're leading a golf tournament, even if you're leading by six strokes, guess what? Your heart rate changes a little bit, <laughs> Keegan Bradley, is you didn't make a bogey for how many number of holes. And, oh, yeah, it's going to even out. He's going to make some bogeys. Yeah, he's going to make some bogeys when it matters, when he knows what's on the line, <laughs> when he knows the championship, right? And getting a chance to win that tournament in his backyard is right there for him. So, that is where there is always that clash and and some of that nature versus nurture, almost some of just that human element versus the raw crunching of that data. And then I think for most of us, just our eyes, you know, to trust our eyes and what our eyes have seen mm-hmm. from so many of the guys, unfortunately, collectively. I mean, collectively, other than other than and I think Justin said this a month and a half ago or so, like, man, in a big moment, who do you trust? Like, who's going to put just a quality at bat together in a really big moment? At that point, it was JP. I think it's probably still JP, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's going he's gonna to know that strike zone and manage and, and give you a, a great quality at bat. Outside of that, do you feel almost 80 games into the season? If there's other, tr- maybe Ty France? Well, that's right? the name it should be. The, the answer to that question should be Ty France, honestly. It hasn't been, I don't think, but that that's that's a guy who should be the answer. Last year, often it was Suarez, right? Often it was Julio, right? But yep. but but the Cal Raleigh had a couple of huge moments. Dylan Moore had some big moments last year. Collectively, everybody did. It, it just yes. felt like you know, in those moments, the game slowed down for them, and then they would pressurize the other team. And this year, you're just not not seeing that, but. Again, when you look at the fact that they are sort of doing a lot of the same things they did last, you know, last couple of years mm-hmm. stats wise, you know, some of that should even out over the course of time. That's sort of the way it's supposed to work. 
You right? sure hope so. You, yeah, you sure you sure hope so. <laughs> now, again, the, the the math this year and and the numbers. I, I went and kind of looked at the schedule. Have you done that yet? Have you kind of looked at the days and the weeks and the months ahead? Yeah, Divish kind of put something together last week while you were out. That kind of went through all that, and yeah, it's there, rough. There's not there's there's not like the a there's just not a stretch there of like eight, nine, ten, twelve games against losing teams. Like it's a, yeah, you, you get the Nationals who are down, and and then here it's comes the, the Boppers, yeah. yes, and then here's you know the Royals are down, and then it's well, yeah, here comes the Yankees. Like it's just, but like a lot of these teams you're talking about, I mean, like there are a lot of good teams this year, but none of them, I mean, most of them anyway, aren't blowing away the competition, which is why you're only four and a half games out in the wild card. And I mean, why, when you match up with Baltimore, who is almost twenty games over five hundred, you're right there with them. Mm-hmm. You're right there, but. but you also, and, and I was saying this uh, an hour ago, each each game seems to have one or two plays that are going the other way. And at some point, that's not luck. At some point, that's you're not putting yourself in position to make those plays. Yeah, a foul ball, fair ball that could go the other way would change a game. A little duck fart into the outfield could have changed the game. Like all of those little moments that, that, that add up, but over a course of now three months, yeah. they're fairly telling, right? Yes. Yes, and the base running is fairly telling. And last year, where Julio was so good stealing bases, where Dylan Moore, you had your little scat backs, right? Just all those roles developed. And right now, this is a team 80 games in, still trying to develop those roles. Those roles of who's going to be the difference maker, right? Those roles. Remember that? Yeah, I mean, how many times beautifully did we get to talk about that last year, mm-hmm. right? Of everybody, 1 through 25, you know, playing their part and doing their role. And unfortunately... Almost 80 games in, still searching for many of those answers. We'll come right back, give you everything you need to know next. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, salesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. The Mariners did score 32 runs on their road trip, six-game road trip. They gave up only 19 runs on that trip. So, according to that, they should have done great. Brock, if this was a cricket match or one of those soccer playoff series with cumulative score, they'd have been all set. But instead, it was, you know, baseball, and you have to win the games, and they lost four out of six of them uh, and just unfortunately not able to make the big plays when they needed to and ran into a buzzsaw in Anthony Santander, who had quite the series. And the pitch on the way to Julio, swinging a drive deep into the gap in the right center field. Mullins going back to the warning track and leaping up and making the catch of Santander. Santander going back to the gap in right center field, robbing Julio of a home run. Yeah, he hit one later in the game yesterday as well. Mariners only have three hits, and they lose three to two. Baseball taketh and baseball giveth. And it goes both ways. And I think Julio had that smile on his face afterwards because he took a home run away the night before in impeccable fashion, climbing the wall, going over the top. Still played all season long, even with his offensive struggles. He has still been phenomenal in the no-fly zone. Unfortunately, it was Baltimore that took that game. Some truly staggering numbers. And Justin sent these in our show notes last night. And just looking at him, it it was hard to fathom, especially Mike as we, the four of us, were down there in spring training and and saw a team that was as close as we've ever seen them, that, that care about one another. And, and those things have not changed, even amidst so many difficult losses. This team is now 14-28 and 28 versus teams with a 500 record. 2-13 and 13 in those series against winning teams. And the real kicker, 9-25 and 
when they score four or fewer runs. Those close games, those low-scoring games, those games that over the last two years, the foundation was really built with this core, that you're going to win those games. You're built to win those games. And through 80 games this season, that is just not yet happening. No, it is not. Scott, though, actually was somewhat encouraged by the way they played on the trip yesterday, notwithstanding. Outside of today, getting shut down, I do think we're trending in the right way offensively, and I don't think you can just... You know, throw it in the trash because you have a rough day. Um, you know, you have to stay with it. And, um, you know, homestand coming up, we need to continue to swing the bats there um, like we did here a few days in the middle of this trip because it's in there. We're capable of doing it. it. just has to stay consistent. Yeah, I would agree with uh, all of that, quite frankly. Nats in town for three uh, starting tonight. Luis Castillo will be on the mound. Here's the second thing you need to know. Oh, I was getting a little nervous about this, right? The All-Star game is in town. It's getting real close. The Mariners are, don't have a lot of players playing well enough to be on that roster. And I'm starting to worry about just sort of the whole thing being a little embarrassing. Thankfully, Julio Rodriguez has elected to defend his runner-up status in the Home Run Derby on Monday night. Home and for the Mariners fans, it was no banner for me. I feel like this, is, this probably will never happen again in my career, so... I'll be able to do that for them I, uh, at the home field. Definitely, it definitely will be uh, something that I, I'm looking forward to. Brock, we've kind of gone back and forth, and I will admit I started off a little torn on whether or not I wanted Julio to do this because you always worry about messing up a guy's swing and, you know, rewarding somebody for hitting home runs, whereas Julio has sort of gotten a little pull-happy, home-run happy this year. But his city needs him. Uh, yeah, this city needs <laughs> yes. Julio to do this and to do well, and he does seem to come alive in those types of environments. So maybe this will be the thing to get him going in the second half. I don't know, but I'm I'm willing to try anything right now. Well, he's not going to see fastballs in and sweepers away, right? True. Like, so that that's going to be the positive is he's he's going to get a chance to to see those groove pitches and yeah, hopefully he does for for the city for for the team just for the the fun factor. Right, the fun, the fun factor that right now, unfortunately, is just not what it has been. And boy, let's hope La Nina continues to hold because the weather has just been outright phenomenal. And that's good news for tonight, right? We've talked about this over the course of the year. It feels like every time the Mariners are home is when the little cold front comes in. But going to be some gorgeous weather over the next couple weeks. Should be, usually is after the 4th of July, a time to showcase that unbelievably beautiful ballpark. And at least to showcase a star in the Home Run Derby is a positive. Here's the third thing you need to know. NHL Awards tonight. Uh, a couple of, <coughs> excuse me, cracking up for them. Dave Haxtall, one of three nominees for Coach of the Year. And he spoke yesterday about his fellow nominee, Matty Beneers, who's the favorite for the Calder Trophy, which is given to the most outstanding rookie. It was pretty eye-opening for everybody, you know, that he came in um, and, you know, just seamlessly made the transition, you know, to, to you know, to the NHL. Now, to a man, we all said, well, now you got to come back and do it when it matters. And Maddie was able to do that. I mean, what a, what a season he had. He's he's an impressive young man. Just He works and improves and picks the areas. One of these guys, he picks the areas of his game that maybe aren't his strengths, and he wants to attack it. He doesn't run from it. Yeah, so a big week, obviously, in the NHL is they'll have the draft, I think, on Wednesday and Thursday, and then free agency starts right after that. Ooh, I like that cut right there. Send that send that to me so I can send that to young aspiring athletes. Mm-hmm. Don't just strengthen your, your skill set. Go go develop your weaknesses right there. And I would say the same thing to Dave Haxtall and the organization. Then Go get that guy some help. Go get him some sandpaper. I think as that year wore on last year, he got he got beat up. He got knocked down. He got injured. 
he needs a little help, but maybe 10 picks in this upcoming draft this week will help that. Uh, might be getting ahead of myself, but I'll ask you what you think, Brock. Is it possible we're seeing the next Tiger Woods and Rosang? She's pretty special, man. She didn't win this weekend. She came in uh, tied for eighth, two shots back in her first major. But she's been in two tournaments at the LPGA level. She won her first and came in eighth, two strokes back in a major in her second. She's 20 years old. Well, I'll also say this, too. Is it possible we're seeing the emergence of college baseball? Maybe. Taking some of the ground of college basketball? I mean, with some of the star power, I don't know if you watched the 24-4 to Florida beating. Actually, Titus and Molly were at the game, uh, first opening game of LSU-Florida for the College World Series opener the other night. Uh, the guy, if you've not watched one game of college baseball, I've said this to you a couple different times with different athletes or sports, tune in tonight. Yeah. The kid from LSU throws 102 miles an hour. He's 6'6", 255. He's unbelievable. He averages 120 pitches a night. He started his career at the Air Force Academy as a catcher, pitcher, hitter, and now he's going to be a top three pick. He's must-see TV. LSU Florida will go for the championship tonight. All right, good stuff. That is everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Text from the 509 says, hey, who's the guest you have on the air right now? His voice doesn't really seem all that familiar to me. That's, oh, yeah. That is unnecessary. Hey, you take a week off. I, I get it. Well, I, I mean, understand too, Two of the last three, I think, right? Uh, uh, two of the last four. Two of the last four, sorry. Yeah. yeah. People, people kind of forgot about you. Yeah, I know. It's time to, time to get back in the saddle. We had a lot of people in, too. I mean, G came in for a couple hours. We had KJ in while you were gone. Yep. Yeah. I, oh, I heard. No, I heard. Oh, you heard. Oh, you heard. Yeah, sure, you sure. heard about it. How does that, that reaches you in northern Canada? You get to hear about those things? Uh, when you get back to the lodge at night, oh. you know, yeah, you kind of check your phone. I mean, I was up before the sun, you know, came up. I was out there, you know, doing my thing. Unbelievable. Fishing, the sun, the isn't the sun always up in northern Canada this time of year? Actually, yeah. Actually, up pretty much. Up before the sun. I well, feel like no, that's it goes down to 11. No, I went down to 11 at night. I was I was out. What time does it come back up, though? Like 4? <laughs> pretty early. There's no way you were up before 4. I don't believe that for a second. You're lying to the people right now, and that no. is not right. I got I, fishing stories, too. I got to tell some fishing stories at some point over the course of the show. I, I got can't fishing wait. stories. There's nothing I love more than a good fishing oh, story. People like it. People down there in Tanina likes it. Nils, okay. my buddy down there now, he likes it. So I, I, thought, I, got I thought you said a fishing story. I thought you were talking about my colonoscopy from the uh, from, oh. the, from the doctor's perspective. Have we heard about that yet? It's a fishing story. Yeah, I oh. talked about it at 6. You weren't here yet. You're just, uh, just a later guest. All right, coming up next, uh, Justin sent over this article on red flags. And I got to tell you, I think CBS got this one wrong. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710salesports.com. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. So CBS does this article and they're, I, I just, I'm sorry. I think this is one of those cases where being far away is not as helpful as being up close, but I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe they have, maybe sometimes distance is the thing you need. They were uh, going through Brock, the NFL teams and trying to figure out the red flag for each team. Okay. What's the red flag everybody should be worried about. Mm. And here's what they wrote for the Seahawks. You ready? Mm-hmm. A potential Geno drop off. Geno Smith was a magical story for the 2022 Seahawks, unexpectedly besting predecessor Russell Wilson in his most explosive NFL showing to date. Late in the year, however, his turnovers were an issue as Seattle relied a bit too heavily on his arm. 
with a new contract and no added quarterback competition, he's under pressure to replicate his breakout. Mm. That's what they have as the biggest red flag for the Seahawks this year. What do you think? Yeah, that's a red flag, and I'm going to get to some of that in Blue 88, actually, as I did some uh, fishing time, like tub time thinking. So I, I think you're going to like Blue 88 today, Salky. Uh, th- that, that that would be on my list, but it's that, like, down in Florida, my other vacation this last month, uh, you know, they've got, like, beach flag warnings because of the tides and the winds and everything else, and I think red is the worst at the top of it. Maybe there's a pirate flag that doesn't even let you be on the beach, but but below it, different colors. I can't see them, but they're different color flags. <laughs> I think Gino's one of those. One of those. He's he's underneath it. He's he's not the most glaring, but I can understand from a national level. You know, it's a quarterback centric league. Mm-hmm. I think there is still that old philosophy, and if hey, if you don't have your quarterback, you don't have a chance. And that certainly was the narrative going into last season, and and he proved those doubters and critics wrong. But he he was six and three, and he was in unbelievably MVP conversations right, because of the numbers. Off. And then the team went three and six in the second half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that there is a conversation to be had there, but that's not the top of the list. Yeah, You know, and I know, and everybody knows what the top of the list is. The top is. of the list is you're running a 3-4 defense that requires a nose tackle, and you don't have one. That's true. I, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm sorry. That is that is 1A and B and probably C. It's your defensive line. We had KJ in, as I said on Wednesday, uh, and my Blue 88 question for him was, how important is a nose tackle to the scheme? He's like, really important. Like, do they have one? No. Well, that seems like a pretty huge deal. Like, if you're running a scheme that specifically requires this one position and you don't have it, now maybe they have a plan to get one. Maybe there's going to be a, you know, 360-pounder that gets cut during training camp that they're expecting. But, like, they don't have a nose tackle. There's a guy named Toby Johnson. John, if you're listening, well, he's not listening because we're not around draft time. But uh, there's a there's a nose tackle that plays for the New Jersey Generals. It was back-to-back all USFL. Oh, okay. He's a little older, but he's like 340 pounds that could do a backflip and, and was just a tremendously and has been dominant player the last two years in the USFL. So he's he's kind of a he's, he's a name out there. Okay. And, and there's some areas that you've got some supply that you may have to entertain trading, you know, for one of those possibilities, maybe in camp. But yeah, that that is the, and I I don't even know if I would singularly sulk say as you're saying right now, just plain nose tackle. Well, it's not that I'm using that as an example as the of the it's, issues it's you have. You, front. you it's have a front. front, but specifically you have a scheme that requires a position that you don't have. I, I just don't understand how that's the case. Yeah, yeah, they drafted somebody. They got they got a young rook in there. Heavy-handed kid. But I asked KJ, but he's not a nose tackle. (laughs) Right. I I specifically asked KJ about that. Like, hey, is is Cameron Young going to be the nose tackle? No. He's he's like Jaron Reed. He's a defensive tackle, but he's not a nose tackle. That's not his job. He's not big enough for that. Yeah. No, nose tackles and what KJ's talking about and what Quandre Diggs tweeted about during the draft is, and when they did take Cam Young, we got our big, just big back. You know, we got the big big body. We got mass in the middle. We got our next Al Woods that isn't 37 years old, right? That's in his 20s and and that's yeah, that's still that is still definitely a need. I'm I'm not going to try to sweet talk it any other way. I am going to give a shout out though. Okay? Just give a quick shout out. Please do. Yes. Okay. You're going to get a few of these today. It seems just, that way. Yeah, well, that's just what you're going to deal with. Up. I am going to give a shout out to Ed and Sue. Uh, I love meeting them on the fishing trip and as much as I love them, I love their dad, 90-year-old dad, sold his business, 
and said, I want to put you on this fishing trip. And they're huge Seahawks fans, and they ended up getting Wyman's jersey, my jersey. We took pictures with them. I made Ed uncomfortable as he was a center, and I was barking out signals. You know, I said, oh, come on, let's take a picture. Just get down here. I'll be, you know, behind you as a quarterback. And that sounds pretty gave, annoying. Yeah. Gave, a, gave a big, strong blue 88, which the Lodge really enjoyed. So just, to, and I know they could be listening, Sue especially, and uh, to Ed and Sue, and most importantly to Dad that bought that trip for their kids. Uh, it was it was pretty cool, man. So there's a quick little shout out. Wow, that's a great so, one. Was it yeah, relevant to this uh, story here? Um, well, let me try to bring it around. I, I thought see, maybe there's a way you were going to yeah, bring that back around, you know, but Ed, it doesn't Ed, feel Ed, like it at the No, I'm, I'm, I'm really about to. for the guy who runs ranked every day to be uh-huh. like get to the mm-hmm. point here Jeez. <laughs> no i'll bring no i'll bring it around they caught just a big old hog of a salmon too a big old nose tackle right ah. not quite tom nelson's 40 pounder he caught but they got a nice big fish and those big fish those are the most difficult you see salk i caught probably i don't know 30 kings in the 8 to 12 pound range which you throw back because you are searching for that big body you're searching for that difference maker and there's no question john and his staff and the personnel group are still searching for that big body mm-hmm. and is it impossible to find between now and game 1 of the regular season no i don't think it is i don't think it's possible and i don't think frankly that dude was there for them what you know you could say oh, hold on a second hold on what about jalen carter is jalen carter a nose tackle no no, he's not a nose tackle either. He's the same size as Jaron Reed, basically. And, and you know, the, the guy, Dre Jones, that you spent $19 million per year on. So, yeah, there's still some time to address it. And I think that still will be A1 personnel-wise top priority between now and week one of the regular season. So what of the fact that a, a national person is sort of looking at this from afar and saying, hold on a second, Geno Smith, come on. Like, yeah, everything you just said, Brock, six and three, and then all of a sudden three and six. Yes, he did some magical things last year, but how sustainable is it really? I I wrote about Gino last week and just sort of thinking through where he's at in his career and where the Seahawks are at more organizationally. It kind of dawns on me that this is is really in some ways a make or break year for for the Seahawks with Gino if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? You hear about make or break. Obviously, people in the Seahawks who are in real make or break situations in their careers, right? That's Daryl Taylor, who you've mentioned a few times. It's D. Eskridge. It's Jamal Adams. Probably those three guys more than anyone else. Although, mm-hmm. I guess you could argue that everybody's in a make or break spot in the NFL all the time. But those three guys more than anyone else, right? Yep. But from a Seahawks perspective, look, you're, you're in a window, Right. You, you've you now created a window to try to win in with all of this young talent before they all need to get paid, before they all get selfish and start fighting with each other, <laughs> before any of those things happen. They're all mm-hmm. coming up together right now. Mm-hmm. And if Gino's not going to deliver this year on at least show you that they are within, you know, that he's capable of winning a Super Bowl within a year or two. Don't you have to move on after this year? Well, isn't that the or way the, the contract very is structured? Least find the next person. I mean, isn't that the way both sides structured yes. this this deal? I yes. mean, it, it wasn't a seventy-five million dollar deal. It wasn't one that has you know massive guarantees in year two and year three, as some of the younger QBs have been able to achieve and get. It was it was a deal that still said, "Here, man, here's some unbelievable amount of money, more money than you've made in your entire nine years preceding it. You did an amazing job. Without you, this is not a playoff team last year, and because of it, we'll reward you." But it is still very much a prove it. Um, and to some degree, in order to sign that Salk, 
he had to have a, a sense and feel that that's what the market was going to say to him too. That's what CBS is saying in this headline. That is what the critics out there are still writing. That is what, you know, Gino is still fueled and motivated by is, yeah, they, they still don't think I can play. Mm-hmm. You know, they still don't think I can get this done. So I've got to go out and, and have that prove it mindset once again. I would say just from a pure, just football evaluation standpoint, Man, this last year unfolded. Was there an aspect of his game where you're like, yeah, he just can't do it? You know, you, you wondered about end of game, right? Because that was kind of the last one. Like, hey, man, you're doing a lot of amazing things, but you got to do it. On, you, you know, you're just judged by the final two minutes. And he checked that box a couple times. Well, you got to do it against the best competition. He played really well, you know, against San Francisco. He, he gave him a chance, even the playoffs, to have a lead at halftime. I don't I don't see an aspect of his game. Do you? Where you're like ah just he just doesn't he doesn't have the fastball. He doesn't have the command. There's n- there is nothing that Gino has done to make me say that. You're right. There is no one part of his game that is such a weakness. You're like, his yeah, deep he ball just can't do is that. terrific. Yep. His quick game is good. His accuracy is tremendous. His anticipation, probably the most impressive to me last year, is a first year full time starter. Third downs, red zone, throwing people open. I was just watching some some highlights of him actually last night. I don't know why. They did some reverse mode of him being left-handed, but I enjoyed it. So I was watching him throw these dimes to Tyler Lockett, those deep shots, right? Those play action where you do have to have some anticipatory skills and then the accuracy to drop it in. I mean, just check, 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 line of scrimmage, tempo, checking in and out of place, check. Like there's just not, there's just not a phase of it where I'm like, oh, Sulky, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, guess I, mean, the, I guess the only thing you would point to is just consistency to do it long enough to really trust it, that he did yep. it for one year and that they really only had success in half of that year. Yep. And, you know, sports are not just about what you do at your best. They're about how you do it over time. Can he continue to be available? He was certainly available last year, played in every game. That was amazing. But the odds show that most quarterbacks aren't able to keep that up, certainly as they get older. And can he continue to do it, right? Can he show, can he take another step forward uh, with an offense that should be even more talented than it was a year ago? And and start to show that this team is contending for a Super Bowl. I mean, that's what's left to do. When we watched him in the preseason, in the preceding years, when we watched him way back, even with the Jets Mm -hmm. and some of the other mop-up duties, I really questioned, maybe my biggest question was just pocket awareness and feel. Right, you're not Russell Wilson. You're not that kind of athlete. You're not able to just scramble around and do all of that. And he took a lot of sacks in the preseason and played behind some backups to backups. Never were even NFL players. Uh, and even in his four starts, three plus starts the year before when Russell was hurt, that was still the area to me. Like, yeah, man, I don't know. You know, does he? He just takes some sacks and, and protecting the football and sack fumbles and some of those things. I guess that would honestly be about the only area. That uh, that as you move forward, can you continue to clean up? No more sack fumbles. Mm. No more sacks. You know, still a lot. Forty plus sacks last season. That number has to come down. Either protecting yourself, getting that ball out. You know, changing plays, whatever it is. That number, that negative number, has got to come down. And if it does, to your point, like if that's the next step, yeah. Because the rest of the numbers, pretty darn good, man. Good. <laughs> that baseball card, <laughs> as they like to say, last year. Those stats, pretty good that's last for year. Sure. 
So All right, you got be, a minute before Blue 88. Give me a fishing story. You, you said you got plenty. Give me, hit, I, hit me with a fishing story. When was the last time? Now, Justin, you're a dive bar guy, right? Oh, yeah. When was the last time you saw somebody consistently drink Bush Light? Uh, not like a one-off, not like as a joke at the golf course. Not, I'm talking like as their go-to. Um, pretty, pretty often, Brock. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Bush. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, good. Oh, Bush that's good to know. Like, yeah, pretty often. Oh, really? Salk, last time you, you hung out. Mora, last time you hung out with somebody drinking Bush Light consistently. I, mean, I can't say that. I think uh, my family back in Mass, it's uh, Miller Light's the go-to. Have you met any kooks, Brock? Oh yeah, Steve. Yeah, my buddy Steve's. A, I mean, back in the day, that was a back in the day. That's oh, not a you know, as a forty year old. It's still got a thriving. Uh, it fan does. Club. Yeah. This lodge mm-hmm. last I night. Mean, you're talking to a guy who just told me he had to break his rule of trying to stay at two star hotels consistently this. Yeah, weekend. we had to stay in a nice hotel this weekend, Brock. <sighs> it must have hurt. So so they would pride you. themselves on drinking a beer like <laughs> this. This lodge. Hipster, look at me, guy. <laughs> you, you would. I'm telling you right now, Justin. If Nils. My buddy from outside of Tanina walked in that. You would be lifelong friends. I don't know if he could fit on one of your scooters to ride, <laughs> okay. but the but the perma dip I mean, in daddy his lip. Knows. Oh, this guy makes Big Daddy look like nothing. Really? Oh, wow. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a big commanding man now, and the lodge had a special order. Like the last night, the GM at the lodge, you know, because we were asked about, has anybody ever drank sixty eight cans of Bush Light in three days? <laughs> and he said, No, that was first. And did I have to special order it because it wasn't on the island of British Columbia? We did. Wow. We had to special order it, but they made it happen for my man, Nils. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. It's like Andre the Giant type of stuff. Incredible human. (laughs) It is great to be that devoted to it. Like, most light beers taste the same. You need bush light that badly that it has to be special. When we parked the car to get on the plane to go. Out of the little terminal in Vancouver, he was on the on the Wait, back but, end of the pickup if truck. You're drinking twenty a day. You need the cheapest thing possible, right? <laughs> like so, I kind of right. think that the, those two things are related. Oh, he's a smart businessman. Don't get me wrong. Like now. if if you've got to drink twenty in a day, <laughs> they have to be the cheapest thing yeah. you can get, right? You yeah. can't be spending. We used to do the cheap beer Olympics, and it was three four dollars a can. I mean, you go broke. That's totally some can't of the afford that kind of bush Everyone light, doesn't light. drink wine, Brock. Yeah. Mm. Four two five says bush latte. I'm from small town Iowa. Justin <laughs> and I could be brothers. That's what we're talking about. Lattes, man. All right, let's do some blue eighty eight. Get Brock back into his comfort zone. <laughs> this is Brock and Sox blue eighty eight. Blue eighty eight. We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. Carlo Blue 88, question number one for you, Brock. Huskies and Seahawks, both about a month away from training camp. What do they have in common? A lot. I mean, a tremendous amount. As, as I was thinking about this, actually, as I said, on the fishing boat, you do have time to think while the fishing was red hot. Up at the old Peregrine in Queen Charlotte, uh, in the downtime and on the ride out, I was thinking about this. Think, think of here's four or five commonalities. The quarterback. The quarterback who's gone from battered and broken to breakthrough. I mean, Michael Penix was, was done at Indiana. He was out. Geno Smith can't play. And last year, both of them, tremendous breakthrough seasons. They're a perimeter team. The best players on the Seahawks are whom? Guys Tyler on the DK? outside. Yeah. Yep. Wide receivers, you're, you're, corners. Rick Woolen. Yep. You're, you're, you're wide receivers. Best team save or best players on the Husky team save for 
your quarterback. In fact, Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl saying, man, I, I got second-round grades on both Roma Dunze and uh, McMillan. So both receivers are absolute studs. Playing with expectations. Last year, the Seahawks supposed to be the worst team in the league. No real pressure. House money. Playing with expectations. The Huskies, coming off the Jimmy Lake debacle, were terrible. Absolutely terrible. And hire not the big-name star, but a really good coach. And, man, did they turn it around to a double-digit win season. Both are counting on transfer linebackers. In the NFL, they call them free agents. And Devin Bush and Bobby Wagner, the UW, they call them in college football, they call them transfers. And they get a, a stud out of SC that's got to be a difference maker for them. And they both have excellent staffs that can employ their systems and, and coach well and, and assistants that are on the rise and, and names to watch. And Ryan Grubb, the OC at UW, interviewed at Bama and turned down the Crimson Tide. And Shane Waldron has another great year. He's going to be on a bunch of interview lists. A lot of commonalities between our two football teams in town. All right, question number two. You know, Gino is sort of a breakout veteran for the Seahawks last year. This is not a, a heavily laden veteran team, but do they have any potential breakout veteran candidates? Yeah, they're all on defense. I mean, they, they really are. I, I, I don't think that there is that guy that I would label in that way in any way. And they don't have many guys like Gino with eight, nine years under their belt either. The guy, and he'll continue to be a conversation leading into training camp, through training camp, into the regular season, the obvious is, is Jamal. I mean, Jamal has got to have that comeback player of the year kind of season after two seasons riddled with injuries and being just an, a non-factor. So he's the guy. I'll, I'll say the other one that's intriguing to me is Devin Bush. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yep. Just to have, you know, you know what Bobby is. I think we clearly know Bobby Wagner. The staff knows Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner knows himself. The, the guy that we don't know is Devin Bush. He was a top 10 pick. You, you saw him out there. He's not the biggest guy. But when he's right, he is one explosive dude. I'm hoping to see some of that explosive fiber that he had. When I called his games in Michigan, Salk, he was he was the alpha man. When he sat out the bowl game, I'll never forget this. They had a D coordinator named Don Brown. He had a Brian Baldinger pinky. The whole thing like just flapped just to the to the side. And he put his hand up in the air and he was just he was so fired up. And he wasn't mad at Devin Bush. He understood, so this is the way it goes. But he knew he's missing the lifeblood of that team. That when Devin decided to, to skip the, the New Year's Six Bowl, he knew you're ripping the heart and the engine out of that defense. This defense was at its best when it had two playmakers at linebacker. When it was Bobby and KJ together. I really hope that Devin Bush is that story we're talking about in 2023. All right, question number three. I know you just wrapped up your USFL season last night in Birmingham. Beautiful Birmingham, as I say. What'd you learn? Oh, man, I learned, Salk. And you would you would have loved this. You actually would have. Because as much as... I love when you say that. No, I'm serious. I mean, you I think actually lo- would have loved this. I know, you actually would have loved this. Mora and Justin more, more so than you, but you would have actually loved it too. You get such in the position that I am, mic'd up with all these players mic'd up, cameras everywhere. I'm on the sidelines. Like I am embedded in like a war correspondent, getting the nitty gritty of it all. And what you see is that culture truly does matter. Kind of back to our opening conversation about the data and the numbers versus just the human beings. Last night, a perfect example of this. One staff that runs it like a 1990s NFL team. A lot of old school NFL guys on it, 
right? Not very relational, not a lot of connective tissue with their players. On the other side, Skip Holtz totally empowering his guys, listening to them, encouraging them, wanting feedback. What do you like? What do you see? Let's work this thing together. Just that total like, hey, I know I'm the head coach and ultimately I make the call, but it's about all of you guys and how are we going to build it that way? He was the coach of the year. He won the title last year. They should win it again this year versus some of these NFL old guard guys they bring in, Mike, that know how to call a play, that know the schemes, but don't have that just connective tissue. We're pretty fortunate in town to have one, to have an old school guy like Pete Carroll, and it's what he blends. He blends 70s, 80s, 90s football. He he loves the Bud Grant. He loves that old school ball, but he blends it with a new school connective culture, and it's why, well, he's the third winningest coach in the last 10 years in the NFL. Behind the Chiefs and the Patriots, it's your Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll and that culture are a big reason why. All right, there you go. That's uh, today's Blue 88. It's three good football questions for Brock. We do that, of course, every day at 745. You know, it's funny. You, you talk about coaching and, and the need for that. I, I've written to you last night about how I, I, I think I am finally willing to say it, Brock. And I, I think it's definitive. Miracle is the best sports movie of all time. Oh, boy. Yeah. Here, here we go. Do you not agree? I bring up Bush Latte, and now you're going to make that declarative statement. I, I, well, I said it. I said it yesterday. I said it earlier today, and I'll say it again. Miracle. I'm I'm making it definitive. It is the greatest sports movie of all time. But come fight me. That's basically what you're saying. Like, here's my take. Now come fight me. I mean, you come fight me all you want. I'm right. I, and, I, and I feel really good about this. I feel like I've got evidence to back it up. Uh-huh. I feel I I feel good about it. And I Kurt think then Russell. when I tell you, Brock, Kurt I think when Russell I give you my so reasons. so amazing right. in that movie. I, I mean, amazing. He's unbelievable, right? <sighs> was Brock going to say Hoosiers? Is that what it was? He might, that? but it's a better movie than Hoosiers. Like, I, I understand he might say Hoosiers. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. Yeah, yeah Brock, I, don't, I think when I give you my reasoning... You will agree that this is the greatest sports movie so, of all time. So, okay, you're going to do that, and yeah. I'm going to ask Maura and Justin if you wouldn't mind. Just that some of that sounds great. You got to give me a little Hoosiers. It's kind of like when we play that sound of Jerry Depoto trying to figure out what he sure said. Right. You've called for it plenty of times. Yeah, before. I know. I got some Hoosiers sound for it. Don't worry about it, Brock. Just hang on. I'll I'll make my case next. Brock and Salt Sales Sports on Seven Ten.